investment. You know, we've been talking about money, of course, the last couple weeks here on Sunday mornings. And, um, and, and yet we've been talking at a pretty high level, of course. And so uh, uh, we've been uh, giving some very uh, big high-level principles, biblical principles about money. But if you want an opportunity to go a little deeper and get into some of the details and specifics of everyday decision-making when it comes to money, here's a great opportunity. We're, we're having a class in two weeks. It'll start on February 5th, two Sundays from now. This, uh, this will happen before church, before our church service. And again, this is an opportunity to get into the nuts and bolts of, of money management um, according to God's principles. Okay. <clears throat> As I said, we have been talking about money. And so we are on week three of a three-week series on the topic of money. It's actually been a while since we've discussed this topic. We talk about money um, here and there. We, t- we talk about it specifically during our missions campaign. But it has been many years, actually, since we've had a focused time on Sunday mornings where we've discussed the topic of money. And yet money is such an important topic. We feel like it's been long overdue. And so last spring, actually, as we were laying out some calendar, we, we decided to, to teach through money at least for a few weeks. And so that's what we're doing right now. And I'm just going to recap a little bit. Two weeks ago, Travis uh, shared on money in the heart. And of course, just tried to describe how closely connected money and the heart is. Uh, that that our, our, our hearts can get so intertwined with, with our money, of course. And sometimes that, of course, can drift into a, 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 a place where we, we worship money. God become, or money becomes God. Okay, our hearts get so wrapped up that our worship is, is towards our money. Week two, um, John took us further into that idea where money becomes God. But he specifically highlighted some of the warnings in the Bible about what happens when money does become come God. And the thing is, when money becomes God, it is not a kind master. You can think of it more as the, the, the bowl in the china shop. Okay, when we are worshiping money, um, it has this, this effect on our lives. It becomes very reckless and it breaks everything. Money is not a good master, not a good God. And so this week, what we want to talk about is taking money from, from that, that, that God-like position in our, our lives and making money our servant. Okay, putting it to work for the purposes of God. And that's what we're after this morning. Taking money and putting it to work for the purposes of God. Now, you might think, okay, is, if, if we're talking about that, if we're talking about investing into the kingdom of God, in, am I going to ask you to give this morning? That can be the question. Am I going to ask you to give? And the answer to that is absolutely. <laughs> and I am going to ask you to give. I feel like I am, I am compelled by the, the Bible in that. I'm going to read a passage that, that John read for us last week out of 1 Timothy chapter 6. Paul says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Thus, storing up treasure for themselves is a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. If we're going to talk about money, so much of a piece of that conversation is being called into a a, a life of overflowing generosity. And if we are going to take that bowl out of the china shop, we have to give it a purpose greater than ourselves. We just have to do that. Okay, we have to employ our, our money for purposes that are, are bigger than us. And that does mean being generous. And so I do want to talk through what it looks like to have a, an overflowing, Christ-like, generous lifestyle. That's our topic for this morning. 
And we're going to do that out of this passage. I think this is, is perhaps the key passage if we're going to talk about, about, about that kind of generous lifestyle. Um, this, is, this is probably the place to go. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 15. So you can go ahead and open up your Bibles to that passage. And um, there's a lot in this passage. There's a lot to pull out here. I'm not going to pull out every point, but I do want to pull out a few few thoughts that I think will be helpful for us as we try to think through investing our money into the purposes of God. So let me read the passage. Starting in verse 6, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for for his inexpressible gift. All right, so like I said, there's a lot in this passage that we could pull out. I'm going to try to pull out three points. And we've got a lot lot to share this morning. We're not only going to try to pull some ideas out of this passage, we're going to have a couple brief testimonies from people here um, talking about uh, just how God has met them um, as they've uh, uh, wrestled through different money matters. And also at the end of this morning, I am going to to give a bit of an update on where we stand um, financially as a church. So that's our morning. But let me try to pull a few thoughts out of this passage. What does it mean to live generously according to this passage? What are some ideas to have in mind if we are going to have that Christ-like, overflowing, gracious generosity in our lives? Well, number one, I would say give in expectation of God's provision. Give in expectation of God's provision. The first verse of this passage, verse 6, says the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Okay, sowing bountifully leads to reaping bountifully. And there are a few other passages or a few other verses in this passage that say something similar that God provides, that God expands as we walk in, in faithfulness speaks of, 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 of God making it so that there's an, a sufficiency in all things. It says he'll supply and multiply your seed. You will be enriched in every way. These are the kinds of phrases that are peppered throughout this passage. Now, if you're like me and you read some of those things, you can feel a little uncomfortable, actually. You can feel uncomfortable when it says you will be enriched in every way. Because it feels like that's drifting towards a dangerous teaching, often called prosperity theology, the prosperity gospel, that speaks of giving for the sake of having abundance poured out on you. So there are many preachers all around the world that that speak in these ways, give to this ministry and God will give you abundantly. An overflowing way. God is that vending machine you put in your quarter and you get sugar out of it. And that is a destructive heresy. But it's everywhere. It's all around the world. And we have spoken against that heresy many times on this stage. And so this can feel a little uncomfortable when we read verses that say, you will be enriched in every way. You'll have all sufficiency, these kinds of things. But I think in our caution against prosperity theology, we don't want to just overlook and set aside what these verses are trying to say. And they are trying to say something. 
And they are communicating, I believe, that as we do walk in faithfulness, God does fill in. He does support. That doesn't mean the mansion and the private jet, but it does mean that he, he fills. He, he meets needs. He, he does support. He, he blesses faithfulness in some way. And you look at these verses, it does say things like, you will be enriched in every way, but why? We can, we can complete the sentence. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. God is, is supporting a certain faith-filled lifestyle. Again, he's not just giving you the sugar. We can't expect and demand that, but we can expect him to faithfully provide as we walk in faithfulness. Now, I did want to, to illustrate this a little bit more and even have, uh, have like I said, a, a, a testimony that shares a little bit of, of this kind of principle. And so I invited Christian and Vanessa Fitzgerald to share with us. You guys can come on up. And they're going to talk a little bit about some of their experiences um, following God and how he has, has supported them in that. And so... You got, you got the mic. Great. All right. So I am going to just hand it over to them, and they're going to share. Yeah. Like Aaron said, I'm Vanessa, and just wanted to give you a little background. I've been at some of you since my late teens. Uh, we've been here for about 20 years. And so I feel like God's really grown our faith through finances, through that whole time, starting as teenagers. But it was something that we both saw modeled growing up. Uh, watching our families and friends around us live generous, giving lifestyles. Uh, one thing, one verse I wanted to share. Malachi 3.10 says, Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you, a blessing until there is no more need. I feel like what that verse showed me early on is that this is something that God is serious about, not because he needs our money, but because he wants our hearts. And it's a tangible way for us to show that we trust God by giving up something of ours that we feel like we need. Um, Also, Since then, that kind of led us to a discussion early in our marriage to have a unity in giving, how we wanted to be generous, how we wanted to use our resources. And so our heart has been to look for needs around us. Sometimes we've felt the Spirit prompting us to help in a certain situation. Sometimes it's through meals or time or maybe deciding to do a mission trip instead of a vacation. And that's not always easy, and I know we haven't done a perfect job of that through our lives but that was kind of the goal. And through that, through these you know, 20 years of kind of growing up into a growing family, we've seen God's provision for us time and again through ups and downs. And just seeing that giving is a real tangible way to put our belief in God and see him take care of us. Yep, so I'm Christian. And uh... I have to admit, a little bit uneasy, maybe, to get up here and talk about something that would typically be maybe more private for me with giving. Um, And I just kind of want to just share that the reason for this isn't to draw attention to generosity in a particular practical way. It's really to draw attention to our experience and our our journey of faith with the Lord. Because uh, what I'm about to share is what it felt like for us to be on the receiving end of the generosity of many of you. You may remember nine years ago, uh, Vanessa and I found ourselves in a bit of a financial crisis. We suddenly learned that our home and many of our belongings had been damaged and would need to be repaired and replaced. So we had to move and we had to replace a lot of things. And it was really a time of a lot of uncertainty. Um, And during that time, some of you pastors and the benevolence team reached out and they said, we want to support you guys in this. And I was hesitant. I was mostly hesitant because I felt like although our situation was difficult, it wasn't bleak. Um, I still had a job. We had savings. Um, 
we had a couple other ideas on the table about how to creatively weather the storm. Maybe you can kind of imagine what some of those would be. So, but one of the pastors really explained to me at the time, they said, Christian, you don't really need to feel like you deserve for some of you to help you right now. That's not really like one of the prerequisites. And if you would just sort of let us do this, maybe this is kind of just how it's supposed to work. And so, sure enough, for a number of months, as we were kind of going through this difficult time, we received a pretty significant financial gift consistently for a number of months. And uh, that, that gift was really designed to meet a one specific need that we had. And um, so that was a temporary thing. And looking back, it was just really a practical way that we experienced the generosity of the Lord and the generosity of many of you. And really just want to take this opportunity to, to thank many of you and anyone here who contributed as many years ago. But whether you were giving to us directly, which many people gave to us directly, anonymously, indirectly by tithing to the church, it really made a huge difference. And not just in our, like, bank account, but also in our spiritual walk. Does that make sense? I see some nodding. <laughs> okay, so that's our story. Thank you, some of you, for being generous. And this is an encouragement to get out there and keep being generous because it makes a difference. Cool. Thank you. All right, thanks, guys. So this is just, just an example of, of God, in that case, through, through the, the, the people of God, supplying a need. And I think we can trust that, that God, God does that. Okay, he, does, he does provide, again, not in this prosperity way, um, but we can trust that he does. And I think one of the biggest hindrances to living that kind of generous lifestyle is just the fear, I might not make it if I, if I give here or if I do this. There's always that fear. I don't know that I, I really have enough. In some ways, we're indirectly saying, I don't know if, 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 if God is really going to supply here. But I think we can trust him, and we can say, yes, he will. All right, point number two. <clears throat> Give decisively and strategically. So in verse 7... It says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Okay. As he has decided in his heart, that's, that's sort of interesting. I think it does imply a thoughtfulness, a consideration, maybe prayerfulness. Say, okay, I'm going to very proactively be generous, thoughtfully be generous. Now, of course, sometimes we do just respond to situations. We want to be very ready to do that. If some, some need comes up, we want to be ready to, to meet that need. But I think in general, our generosity uh, should be proactive rather than reactive. I, I think we should be very thoughtful about it. We should be very decisive about it. Another verse in, in 1 Corinthians verse, uh, or chapter 16 Paul encourages the Corinthians, and he, and he says, On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up, as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. Paul was going to, make, going to gather a collection for some of the needy people in Judea, and so he encouraged them to be a little bit strategic, thoughtful, as they, as they made these decisions and as they set aside some for the time when he was going to come. And so I think there is a, a thoughtfulness, a decisiveness that goes into our, our giving. You could even say a strategy that goes into our generosity. And so I wanted to have a, another brief testimony along those lines, and I'm going to invite Scott and Kathy Elder to come on up here. And they're going to describe just some of the thought process that, processes that they've had as they've considered their their lifestyle of, of, of generosity. And so, grab the mic here, and I will let them share some of their, their experiences. Good morning to some of you family. So I'm Scott, this is Kathy. Uh, we came to Fort Collins in 1985. 
think it's a nice place, so we stuck around. And um, came to some of you probably about the same time as Fitzgerald's, 2003, so about 20 years now. And uh, so we think some of you is a nice place, too. So um, how many minutes do I have? <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I can fill whatever available time there is. So um, anyway, some interesting things happen uh, along the way to get here. And um, oh, we just became grandparents. So Kathy has pictures. Oh. So, talk to her after we got videos and pictures. Okay. So examples of generosity in my life was uh, primarily my dad. My dad worked in the army, so he was on a pretty fixed salary. And then he got into real estate after he retired. And, and um, he just did crazy, generous things. He gave people big whole boxes of pecans at Christmas. He gave people you know, full smoked hams and stuff like that. I'm like, that's really crazy. And then um, when, I, when we read uh, Purpose Driven Life and we had the 40 Days of Purpose here, you know, we got to know who Rick Warren was. And I remember Molly Freeman saying, you know, Rick Warren does a reverse tithe. He gives away 90% and keeps 10 because he just has all this extra money. I'm like, that's pretty cool. I wonder if we could ever do that. <laughs> so, um, you know, Vanessa shared the Malachi verse, and I think she left off a little part that at the beginning where uh, God says, are you robbing God? And we're like, I don't want to be accused of robbing God. So we've always been um, tithers to our local church. That's some of you right now. If you get called to some of you and you're not part of us formally, we'd love you to do that. If you get called somewhere else or... That takes you somewhere else. We, we strongly believe in that. But like a lot of Americans, uh, there's a great opportunity to improve your income over time. And um, we just decided we're going to keep tithing whatever our income is, where it goes up or down. But at a certain point of um, sort of being able to pay the bills, you, get, you say, well, what do I do with the extra money? What if I do with that bonus or that profit sharing or that sales commission that was a little bigger than I thought it was going to be? And so we actually came up with a system that says, okay, God, you know, 10% wherever you go, wherever you take our income, but above a certain physical or fixed threshold, we want to give more as a percentage for each incremental kind of, you know, bucket of income that we move into. And, um, and some really cool things can happen uh, if, you, if you take that attitude. You can, you know, you decide where your, you know, your income comfort level is. And then above that, say, God, I've already decided. I don't know if I'm ever going to make more than that or if you know, I'm going to get some windfall. But I've planned it out that it's, it's going to be given to your kingdom. And in terms of where we focus, those offerings beyond the tithe are heavily on missions. Because we have a heart for to going through perspectives back in 1999 or so. We realized that um, very, very little of the evangelical, evangelical budget and missions budget of the world is focused on the billions of people that have never heard the gospel or don't have the gospel, don't have the, the Bible in their heart language. So we love supporting missionaries to the 1040 window. That's South Asia where most of the unbelievers are, people have never heard of Jesus, and, and, and love to do that, especially with folks from, from some of you. So be generous, tithe, and um, be prepared because it's going to happen when God provides abundance and have already decided where, where it's gonna go. I just thought I'd talk for a minute. Um, this was an area I was really blessed in because Scott just came into our marriage with this mindset. So I just had to follow him, that was great. But there is an emotional side to all of this. And for me, I dealt with that by just, as he was saying, this is just, the cut off the top isn't mine. We once had a demonstration here of a $100 bill going up and down the aisle and it's like everybody passed it back because it wasn't theirs. I have a much harder time doing that with my mindset over my time, as Aaron asked us to talk. I realized I'm fully happy with saying this part of our income isn't mine, but my time, I don't always do that with. Um, that's the mindset that got me through, was this isn't mine to begin with. Um, mm -hmm. And then it's like, where do I get to give it? And that's kind of like retail therapy, but in giving. So <laughs> anyway, that's how I've worked out the emotions. That's great. All right, thanks, that was good. 
So maybe I'll just expand a little bit on some some of the things that they shared as we think decisively and think strategically and we consider where might our generosity be focused. Let me just run through a few few specifics that I I, I think are good to think about. And let me list them really quickly and then I'll, I'll talk about them. So number one, provide for your needs and those you are immediately responsible for. There's plenty in the Bible about that. Number two, fuel the ministry of the local church. Number three, meet additional needs in order to care for the poor and advance the gospel. And and number four, cultivate a hospitable lifestyle. And so let me describe those a little bit. First of all, yes, uh, we we do, of course, um, uh, aim to provide for our own needs. The Bible certainly encourages uh, some degree of of, uh, financial independence. Now, of course, there are times like the, the Fitzgeralds described where, where we all need support, and we will go through different seasons like that in our lives. And yet, of course, the, the, the goal is to be self-sufficient for the most part and to provide for those that you are responsible for, immediate family, even extended family, and that would certainly be a focus of where our, our money goes as we, we're thinking outwardly. Secondly, fueling the ministry of the local church. And so, so I did want to take a, a moment here and talk about the tithe and just, just discuss that some. Both the Fitzgeralds and the elders mentioned that a little bit. That can be a uh, controversial subject. It can be a confusing subject. And so let's, let's discuss it a little bit. You know, the tithe, first of all, the, tithe, the word tithe means a tenth. That's just what the word means. It means 10%. In the Old Testament, the tithe was very clear. Okay, the Old Testament Israelites were called to tithe on their income. Give 10%. There's even a, a thought that there may have been more than one tithe that they were called to, but for simplicity's sake, we'll say they were called to a tithe. They were commanded very clearly, bring that tenth. And they brought it to the temple, they brought it before the priests, and that tithe um, supported the spiritual life of the community. Okay, that's what the tithe did. The New Testament is not as clear, honestly. The New Testament seems to imply or allude to or maybe assume the the tithe, but it doesn't say it real clearly. It seems like there is more of a freedom given. There's no explicit command in the New Testament to to tithe in a very specific way. Again, it seems to be more implied or assumed. The command in the New Testament is generosity, like we've just been reading about. The command in the New Testament is to be generous. And so, the way that I've, I've approached it personally, and I think the elders shared, shared some of this as, as well, I, since I was 18 years old, uh, when I first came to Christ, I, I developed the conviction that, yes, I did want to set, set aside that, that tenth. And I, I just wanted to, to make sure that I walked in that pattern. And I, I uh, was under the conviction of, of first bringing that to, to my local church, believing in the ministry of the church, actually believing that the church was so much of the, the foundation, the church was, it was so much of what, what everything grew off of. Okay? So there, there are other ministries, other places that, that are, are really exciting and seem pretty, pretty flashy and there's, they're really good, but I believe that they are fueled from the ministry of the local church. That, that, that so much grows within that context and then is, is sent out. And so my conviction was to... Um, to give that tenth to the, the local church. However, just as the elders described, my hope was also to, to grow in generosity. And I saw that tenth as a baseline, not a direct command, but a general guideline to start with. It's like Randy Alcorn says. He says the tithe is the, the training wheels of giving. I think I saw it much the same way. I, I, I want to, to take that as my general guideline but hopefully grow in generosity after that. And if, if God did prosper, if he, he, he uh, grew my income, um, to consider, okay, would, would there be more that, that I would give in addition to that? And that could be to the local church again, but it could be meeting other needs as well, meeting those additional needs in order to care for the poor and advance the gospel. So Christy and I have generally had that goal to see as God, God grows us, is there opportunity to grow in generosity along with that? And then finally, to cultivate a, a hospitable lifestyle. 
Are we living a lifestyle outside of these specific giving amounts and proportions? Are we just living a lifestyle that is one of overflowing generosity? Are we using our money to create contexts for relationship, for love, for gospel to to travel through? So, for example, we, um, I mean, we spend spend a decent amount of money on paper goods. I mean, not a lot of money, but we spend money on paper goods, especially during the summer. Because we, we like to host sometimes large groups of people. We buy a lot of plates and forks and cups and things like that. We have, we have a shed that's almost entirely full of, of tables and chairs. Um, just that we can pull out when we have people over. We want to, and those aren't significant costs, but we do want to cultivate that kind of lifestyle and that approach to, to our life and our home is, is just cultivating a hospitable lifestyle. <clears throat> One more thought on, on this uh, decisive strategic giving. It's never too early to develop habits and a strategy. Luke 16.10 says, One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. And I think often, if you're young and don't have much of an income, or, or, or maybe there's, there's different struggles, and again, you don't have what you feel like as much of an income, it's easy to think, I don't know if this really matters. If I make $5 a month um, as a 12-year-old, um, does my 50 cents really matter? I say it does. And we should not be thinking too much in earthly terms, but instead we should be understanding that God, God blesses faithfulness, regardless of the specific amount. God, God, God takes that and he moves in powerful ways. And so, so regardless of, of where you're at, I believe those little steps of faithfulness are blessed abundantly, and they do set patterns. And maybe you don't have money right now, but as you set those patterns, it will transform your life as you go forward. All right. Point number three is to give cheerfully. <clears throat> Again, in verse seven, each one must give as he had decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. This is something that God loves. If you've thought about that, God loves, he appreciates, he is pleased by somebody giving with a cheerfulness and joy. And I think that's made even more clear as we read the, the rest of the passage and we consider what, what effect this giving has, in this case with the Corinthians, what effect did their giving have? And we can go to verses 12 through 14. And we saw, saw first of all, that the ministry of, of that service supplied the needs of the saints, so just like the Fitzgeralds shared, there was a supply there when, when there was need. But it resulted in, in other things. That resulted in an overflowing of many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. There's so much good. Just Again, just like the Fitzgeralds shared, they were brought into a gratitude and even a worshipfulness, I think, as they, as they experience that, that generosity. And it even cultivates affection and relationship among people. Verse 14, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. And you see what it stirred there, a longing, a prayer, a prayerfulness for people, for these people. These are the things that stirred. And I think we can be joyful, we can be cheerful when we recognize that this is the outcome. This is what happens as we live this life of generosity. So, those are uh, just a few thoughts out of, out of 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And as we talk about money, as we again try to take that bowl out of the china shop, and we, we uh, uh, employ that, that bull. Um, it means living the, this life of, of, of overflowing generosity. It's a huge part of it. And so we want to walk as Jesus did and, and live a similar lifestyle. With that, though, I'm going to switch gears a little bit 
And I would like to share some of, of just how things are looking right here and share some of these specific details of, of the financial state of, of some of you. Now, before I get into some of those numbers, let me uh, just, uh, just say one thing, that we are going to have a, a, a Q&A after the service. Okay, so we'll probably start around 11.15 or so right here in the auditorium, and the other pastors will be up here as well. And so if you have questions about anything that we've shared, you know, big picture principles about money and giving, you can certainly ask those questions. Also, if you have specific questions about the finances of this church, we'd love to try to answer those in the best way that we can as well. So with that, let me share some, some numbers. And I'm going to start with a few basic numbers that will, will help us describe the financial state of the church right now. I'm going to give you just some big round numbers, um, uh, just really for the sake of easy math, but these are about, about where we sit. So our annual tithe income in this church is right about a million dollars. So, so you give collectively a million dollars to this church every year. Our fiscal year, as I go on and share some of these numbers, understand that our fiscal year starts May 1st. So it goes May 1st through April 30th. And so that's how we work our year. And so through December, we're eight months through our fiscal year. We're coming up on, on three quarters of our year being done. A couple other numbers. Our current savings, what we have in the bank, is about $250,000. Okay. Now, that number is a little higher inflated right now because usually there's, there's extra giving, say, say, around December. And so our, our bank account grows at that point, And then it, it slowly is, you know, trickles down over the course of the year. Not all the way, um, but it, 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 this, this would be the high point right now. Also, much of that money in the bank is earmarked for future building expenses. You know, of course, things have to be replaced. Parking lots, roofs, things of that sort that we know are coming at some point, and so we do set aside some money and keep it there for those known large expenses in the future. The remaining principal on the building is about 290000 right now. That's how much we have to pay on our mortgage. And that's pretty good. Actually, both of these numbers are, are good. To have $250,000 in the bank right now and, um, and to have about $290,000 left to pay on our loan are pretty encouraging numbers. We bought this building about 20 years ago for a little over $3 million. Okay? And we have just under $300,000 left to pay on it. Of course, the, the value of the building has grown since then. We have just, it's really, really the, um, it's in sight, uh, paying off the mortgage on our building, which of course would be a, be a big relief and um, but we're not too far away. So there are some, some general, general numbers um, sh- that, that kind of give us a, a bit of a baseline. Now, let me take you into where things stand currently when we're talking about current cash flow, in a sense. Let me describe that for you. Now first, let me tell you about, about what happens each month and each year. So... Our average monthly non-December giving is right about $75,000. So on a typical month, $75,000 in tithe comes comes in. In December, at least the last couple years, December has brought in about $180,000. It just gives you a, a, a bit of a, an understanding of how things work in the church world and really the nonprofit world in general. This is why you get so many emails in December, okay? um, inviting you to give to different ministries, because most nonprofits receive a lot of money at the end of the calendar year, and that would be the same with us. And so our December income is two and a half times. Our, our normal average income per month. Those extra gifts that are given in December, that's over $100,000, a tenth of our, our income from those, those gifts. And I think a lot of people uh, make those kinds of decisions where um, um, they, they evaluate how God has blessed or prospered over the year and, and try to understand what 
you know, in, in what ways can I be generous in December? And so a lot of those gifts, gifts come in. Um, through November this month, honestly, we were, we were down. We were down in income. We're down by about $30,000 through, through November, which is, would be about 6% down at that point through the year. And so that was beginning to, to get concerning, actually. Um, you're $30,000 or 6% down. That starts to cause you to think, okay, what, what's, what's happening and what are, are there changes that need to be made in some, some way? Okay? That's where we stood through November. But then, of course, you're waiting for December, and you're wondering, what is December going to look like? Because a lot, a lot hinges on December. Well, again, December was, was very low. Okay? And so December this year came in at $130,000. $50,000 below what it was last December. These are numbers compared to, um, to last year's giving. Now, this was um, somewhat to be expected. And actually, in, in, in looking at this and, and digging in a little bit more... This was this this um, drop in income in December was probably not due to a bunch of people leaving with their money. It really really wasn't the case. Um, certainly, people come and go each year in, in any church, and there were certainly people that, that may have left that moved on from this past year. Um, but also people. People come in and, and, and begin to give, and it didn't seem like there were just a lot of people that, that just dropped off and were, um, you know, were, were gone and were no longer giving. It sure seems like people in general just could not give as much as they did last December. There were not those same additional gifts this year. And again, that's somewhat to be expected. Everybody's investments tanked. Last year, everybody's grocery bills skyrocketed. And so it's somewhat to be expected. However, it is significant. And so that's a significant loss. So for a a total of of $80,000 down, we're close to 11% through December. And so again, that's looking, looking very, very significant, very concerning. But I can also describe the last, um, the last three weeks, too. So, January is always the lowest month of the year okay, when it comes to, to giving. Okay, December is always really, really high, and, December, and January is always really low. Typically, maybe around $60,000 that may come in in January. And so, through, through January 20th of last year, um, there would have been $38,000 that had come in through those first 20 days of, of January. This January, um, there's almost $96,000 that came through Friday, through this, just this, this last Friday. And so there was almost $60,000 made up there in January of all months. And, um, and so, where we stand right now, again, comparing this year's income to last year's, we are still down by about $22,000, or 3%. Now, what do we make of all this? What does this mean? Well, I can um, share, share a few thoughts. First of all, you can look at it from a, different, a couple different angles. I think one very, very positively. Um, I just met recently with our, we have a, uh, just to let you know, we have a financial review committee. We have for many, many years. Usually there's about three people from within the church here that just keep an eye on finances and take a look at the numbers, and they give counsel. And they just counsel us in, in our decision-making and in our budgeting, so we especially talk through things leading up to uh, establishing our budget in May. So I was talking to them um, just, just last week, and in some ways, there was an encouragement there that the numbers weren't lower. This is even before um, a lot of this, this money had, had come in. And um, there was an encouragement that it, it, it wasn't as low as perhaps um, you might think it would be. 
okay? And so, so being right currently, being the $22,000 and 3% down, um, considering the year that we've had, um, that just economically that we've had, uh, perhaps that's not, not terrible. And perhaps expected. Um, at the same time, we, we, like I shared earlier, we do have a, a decent savings pad. Of course, some of that is intended for future building expenses, but we do have, uh, have some savings, and we, are, we, we have a lot of equity in this building, and so we have a, a, a little bit of a buffer there. And so things aren't, aren't dire, and, um, and they're, you know, they're, they're certainly not as, as bad as they could be. <laughs> Um, so, so I think that I think that's true. I, I don't think there's uh, there's reason to just get get really really um, really anxious here. Um, and yet, at the same time, we are we are down, okay? and we probably need to be up. I mean, we do need to be up. Just considering increased prices, the desire to give um, adequate raises to all all employees here, and so. So the hope and really the need was to be, be up this year. So, um, so that's where we're at. Let me explain just maybe personally here um, what, what, what this is, has, has done in me. Just reminded me that church finances, and they're always this way, church finances are a roller coaster. Okay, they're a roller coaster ride. And a couple weeks ago, as things were uh, looking down, I mean, especially looking down, I, you know, I could, I could, could start to feel that, that discouragement, definitely. Um, and and you, you can start to, to pity yourself a little bit and just to, you know, be honest about my fleshly heart. Um, there can be this, this pity. I, I uh, used to, so tw- 12 years ago, I, I, I became a pastor and um, prior to that, I, I worked as an engineer for about five years and um, studied engineering in school, did some grad school, got a couple master's degrees, and, and then worked as an engineer for, for five years, and, um, and then made the switch to, to ministry. And sometimes in these, in, in these moments, again, it can feel like, oh, things would have been easier. It would have been easier if I had stayed on that, that career path. I was also talking to my son uh, just a couple weeks ago, and we were having a conversation. We were talking about future, and um, talking about college, and and just you know what would what would future look like for for him, and considering different options, and and um, and he was just wondering, you know, is is college worth it, basically, and um, you know, is it worth it? And especially because he was wondering, he's he, you know he's, he's he's still a ways off, and he's he's unsure, but. It's wondering would he want to go into ministry at some point, you know, whether that's pastoring or being a missionary or something along that those lines. And to hear him, you know, express some of that that desire and ambition, of course, it it, it warms my heart, and, and I'm excited for that. But I'll also admit, at that point, in the back of my mind, don't I didn't tell him this, but in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, don't go into ministry. <laughs> Okay, I mean, do something stable, like get an art degree or philosophy. Or, um, but don't go into ministry. Because um, honestly, ministry in, in America is a dying industry. I mean, that's what it, what it feels like. And so I can, you know, I can feel this. I can, be, I can wrestle in these ways and and then just after that i hear january is 60,000 dollars up and again that doesn't like get us out of the woods or anything but it it it's a little bit of a rebuke from god i think <laughs> on my fleshly heart and god's reminded me of some things and it reminded me, when I was an engineer, you know, I got laid off. Okay, I was working my engineering job, and then our, our office closed down, and I got laid off, and I was out of work. My wife was pregnant with our second child, and I was unemployed. And it wasn't just this secure 
stable path for me. Um, and God reminded me, said, did you, did you know I'm still here? You know, and, and I can still do things. And in a moment, I can change circumstances pretty dramatically. And I was reminded probably the best place for me to be is just fully dependent on God. You know, and just, just relying, on, relying on him from, from day to day and not trying to, to uh, muscle my way into absolute security. The best place to be is just relying on God. And as we, we've gone through this, this short three-week series, my hope is that all of us get there. Okay, my hope is that... Um, not just that we get our money life in order and we make all of these wise decisions and, 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 and get things into a place that feels like we're in control. My hope is that, that we've all been stirred to renew that sense of dependency and trust in our faithful provider God. Okay, that's really the goal of, of, this, of this series. And so as you think through practicals and, and, and as you try to um, just consider and process any thoughts that have been shared these, these few weeks, I hope that's your goal, is, is walking in greater trust and relationship with our provider God. I'm going to invite the band to come on back up here. And we're going to sing one last song. And as we sing, that's the hope. The hope is that we can, in song, even um, renew that that trust. Okay, things um, God God may do things uh, very different. I mean, he he may send us on a variety of different paths in the future, but hopefully, he can equip us with just that trust and that faith throughout. Let's pray with me. Well, Father God, we recognize you as the provider. We recognize you as trustworthy. God, I pray for our church. I pray that we would see that more and more. Lord, as we've spent a few weeks just processing the, the, uh, the area of money in our lives, Lord, I pray that you would use these, these scattered thoughts to draw us all into a deep faith and deep relationship with you. So often this is where our, our, our relationship, it's, it's, it, um, we where we see the nature of our relationship with you is in this topic. And so, God, I just pray that you would help us to see that you are trustworthy, or that you do provide, that you are good. And so every person in this room, I pray that they would know that and see that a little bit more. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.